You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Everyone, this is Dirk Novell. On with me is a very good friend of mine, Julie Wikes. Julie, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Dirk. Julie um, is coming to us from Austin. And just a little backdrop on Julie. So Julie's been in my life for a long time. I, I would say close to 10 years, maybe a little more, as a coach of mine. Um, and Julie is part of a team that I've been associated with for a long time. But Julie and I have had a lot of deep, deep conversations over the years. And I was you know, really excited to have her on as a guest because she's very, very good at what she does. And she's been a big impact on me professionally and personally. And so with that, I wanted to have her on. And I also just real quick, she has a background in the corporate world. And I, what I love about that is she, there was a shift. I'll let her articulate it, but there was a time in her life where she was maybe questioning what she was doing. And I think it's important because we all kind of do that. And she's going to correct me on my language. I do that often, but I'm going to let her talk a little bit about that but first, why don't, Julie, just elaborate a little bit about you just came back from Spain and Portugal. You're sitting on the plane. Someone comes up, sits next to you and says, what do you do? How would you answer that? Aside from I'm an international traveler. Yeah, aside from that and that you're modeling in Spain. Uh, but as a coach, the how rest would you of the story. <laughs> That's right. So my response is generally I'm a business coach. And if they appear to be a business person, I would say I'm an executive coach, which gives a little more context. Most people have heard of a coach, whether in sports or in another modality, but the business coach is the most accessible way to describe it, which is I coach business people. And if I need to give any more clarity, I would probably say something like, I coach business people, helping them in their outer lives, which is their business, as well as their inner life, inner life which is their relationship with themselves and others. So I coach them in the outer and inner. And what, what does that achieve or what is the outcome of that? It would be to help people live more content and meaningful lives. So let's just, I mean, we've had this dialogue verbiage for a while, but for the maybe younger adults that are tuning in, business executive coach. So does that mean that you wouldn't help somebody that's just having issues in their personal life that have nothing to do with their career? Great question. I'm not sure if this is what you're pointing toward, but I'll create a distinction for anybody listening or watching, which is that coaching is helping people move forward toward a goal they want to achieve in their life. And when the personal or the interpersonal comes in, there's also therapy, which does not generally have a future orientation, but rather an orientation to the past and to more emotions of things in the past. So coaching helps people achieve a goal, remove roadblocks to achieving a goal and being more content and more self-actualized. So I think your question was around, would I coach somebody just on the personal? I absolutely would. And in fact, I coach business people as well as a few, a few non-business people or people that are outside of that. One is a son of one of my clients who was let go from his second company out of college. And I've been coaching him, helping him get clear on what he wants to do 
next and what he could do to have a lot more success in his next job. And as a young man out of college, I wouldn't call him a business executive, but it's been really successful. And I coach one or two lawyers as well. One of my original clients from 2013 and I have been coaching for a little over 10 years, 10 and a quarter years. So she's not related to business. She's actually a lawyer who owns her own firm. So I have a little bit of diversification, but mostly these business exec types like you. Yeah, it's funny because like we've had hours and hours of conversations over the years. I would say 90% of what we talk about is personal. Like the business stuff is, you know, we talk about, but I know just a lot of the belief systems that I've been wrestling with over the years or just the ways I've, you know, maybe they come up in the workplace, which they often do, but I feel like, you know, you are very versed on both sides of the fence, um, which I think is important for the audience to understand is you're not just a pure executive coach that helps people, you know, bring in more profit for their business. Correct. To add to that, and when I did my coach training program in 2012 and 2013, there was this great slide with four different types of support. I mentioned coaching just now. I talked about therapy. There was also business consulting and mentoring. And so those four can tend to be a little similar yet different. And I would say business consulting would be very mechanical, very on the outer. What are you doing in your business? Let's look at your PL, let's look at who's on your team, your org chart, like the, the nuts and bolts of business. And while I enjoy that part of it, the interpersonal, the what I believe about my team members or why I trust X person, but I do not trust Y person. So the, the inner beliefs or the inner thinking and emotions and how a person relates to their job, relates to the work they do in the world is what I love most. And you know Tim very well. I would say he is a, like a skilled business consultant in the mortgage space, skilled advisor and guide, but coaching tends to be more helping the client find their own answers or helping them uncover things. So coaching is more about questioning and guiding and supporting somebody and finding their own answers. And I bring that up because some people will say about a coach, give me advice or tell me what to do. That's not truly what coaching is about. It's about helping the client discover their answers, as well as notice the thinking and the way that they relate to their world, whether it's supportive or unsupportive, and rewiring new patterns, new beliefs, even new ways of being. And I guess the last thing I'll add to that is when I was researching the coach training programs that I was choosing from, there were five of them back in 2011 or 2012. And I thought, wow, some of these are highly mechanical. Like some of them were philosophical. They were, like mine was an ontological program, which is a study of being, but they were really like heavy and philosophy and things. And I thought, gosh, that is not what I want to be doing is observing how somebody scoops ice cream or observing how somebody does something because it just seems so finite and so, so a little bit too ticky tack for me, but there's many different ways of coaching. And I share all that to share that coaching is a guide, but it's not somebody who knows more or who tells you what to do or is better than you. So is that, would you call those modalities? It's a great word. Yes. So I thought I was right. I was hoping I was right. But the reason <laughs> I bring it up is because if you're listening and you're watching Julie and you're trying to figure out, you know, there's different ways to do what she does. There's different methods, ways of helping or guiding uh, that can be very different, right, from each other. 
So I think it's interesting that, you know, if you're going to explore this as a career, you might want to research the different modalities that uh, are available. And would you have any advice to somebody that if this is new language for somebody, how do they know which modality might be more in alignment with them? Great question. And I'll provide you with the slide, the one pager I was referencing, so you can share it with all the listeners and viewers, because they are different. Like therapists need a master's in social work or a master's in um, MFT, whatever that, any therapists need advanced degrees that I don't have. I think MFT is the wrong language, but MSW and something else. Um, with the others, business consulting, mentoring, and coaching, if a person wants to be well-versed in something like business consulting, they should get experience working in business, which I know you'll probably ask me about. If somebody's toward the middle to latter half of their career, they'd probably be a great mentor. But for people that are choosing a career of those three, business consulting, mentoring, or coaching, I would say coaching is something they could more easily access from where they are. And in my experience, this is maybe not always true for everybody, but knowing what you're speaking about firsthand helps with being, being considered an expert at it. So a 22 year old trying to coach CEOs may be a little bit of a stretch, but a person who has some experience in business to then coach into business gives them a little more meat because a coach training program doesn't necessarily give that outer. If you're coaching business people or if you're a nutritionist coaching athletes, it would be better to have been a former athlete to then go help with nutrition because you'd have that in your yeah. toolbox. No, I think that's great. I, I, I want to go backwards a little bit. And I told you before I hit record, this is one of the things that I wanted to kind of get into with you. So walk us back a little bit. College, where did you graduate from? Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Yeah, my uh, nephew went there. Um, Smart kid. Yeah, and he's playing football now in the NFL. Um, ben Roethlisberger? Okay. No, Tommy Doyle. He's okay. uh, He plays for the Buffalo Bills. Um, okay, so you came out of school, and did you jump right into the corporate world? Was it Hershey's, or what was the company that you worked for? Nabisco was my yep. first job out of college. And how long were you there for? So... Can I step a step back further yeah. into college? No, no, bring it. Yeah, whatever you want to do. Okay. So freshman year, it was dabble around and decide what you wanted to have as a major. And I think this is important to where I am today. I thought it'd be great to be a psychology major. And so when my parents came for parents weekend and I told them I was thinking of declaring psych as a major, they did some redirection as good parents do. And because I trusted them, I gave up the idea of becoming a psych major. Their logic was you then have to go to grad school and have time in internships or have time practicing to someday be a psychologist. And what if at 25, 26, you don't like the job? You're a little bit pigeonholed and you've gone to grad school. But in their wise wisdom, thank you, Dick and Barb Wikes, they said, if you're a business major, you can get a lot of different jobs out of college. You don't need to go to grad school. You can, but you don't have to. Then you can figure out what you want to do. And I think for all your listeners that are trying to decide what they want out of college, I think it was great advice to cast a wide net as a business major than a narrow net to become a psychologist with a job title on it. So I trusted them, majored in marketing, minored in Spanish, and got a job in supply chain with Nabisco. So to the heart of your question, I worked for Nabisco, which was then purchased by Kraft Foods three years into my tenure. 
and then it split 13 years into my tenure. And at the 15 year mark, I joke that I retired from corporate life after 15 years. And that company was Mondelez. So Nabisco, Kraft and Mondelez, I just termed them all Kraft. And I worked in supply chain, Dirk. And before jumping on our, our session today, I wondered what was it that got me to choose supply chain and interview for a lot of companies that were coming to Miami to interview. And it was my professor, Dr. Thomas Spey, who's since passed, but he taught two or three supply chain classes. That was a total offering at Miami as compared to Penn State at the time, they had a whole supply chain major. So I interviewed with a few companies, chose Nabisco because it was more interesting than warehousing and transportation, some of the other companies with whom I'd interviewed and gotten job offers. And so I moved to New Jersey and worked in a lot of different functions of supply chain, transportation from a headquarter level, warehousing, materials management, which is getting the raw materials to the plant in time for production. I then thought it'd be fun to work in procurement. So I got my mentor to pull me into the procurement department where I bought flexible packaging, which is highly involved, highly scientific. Chips Ahoy and Ritz and Oreo packaging all had myriads of people involved in it, like R&D, research and development, and chemists. And we had to forecast the price of packaging based on how barrels of oil shifted. And if it was hurricane season, we had to reforecast a lot. So what that I can sounds say, exciting, by the way. Why do you think I became a coach? <laughs> keep talking. Keep talking. No, I, I love this because why I'm smiling and laughing is like, it's so different than what I know you. Uh, like, zone of excellence, you're probably damn good at it, right? And you probably could have just kept going up and whatever. But I guess, I mean, I just know how deep you are and evolved and, you know, the soul and a lot of these things that, we talk about probably weren't part of your conversations doing supply chain. Um, maybe they were, but I doubt. So what was it like? I mean, in, getting in your head, was it this, hmm, is this what life's about? Or like, I'm just not happy. What was the catalyst that might have brought you out of that world? Like, was it the 180? You definitely took a 180. Was it you just woke up someday and said, this ain't it? Great question. I'll put a few bullets on it. Procurement was the most technical job I had, and I liked it the least. And my manager, who was a lifetime procurement person, could tell that I wasn't super happy. I wasn't great at those things. I'm an intelligent person, but it was way too detailed and way too like chemical-related for me. So I hired a coach. And this amazing coach training program out of Chicago was called Tiara Women's Coaching. And I got clear that the career choices I'd been making weren't really aligned using your word soul, which I didn't really orient to at the time. They weren't aligned with my soul. And while I was good at doing them, they didn't fill me. I wasn't leaving the office with more energy. What I said at the time is, and I was driving about an hour north of Chicago <clears throat> when I was working in these jobs I'm mentioning, the analogy I used was that as I drove the hour south back to the city, I was like reconstituting my body. I had to like reconnect with myself because I was so in my head in these job functions, forecasting Velveeta, Velveeta and Ritz pricing, that I was so disassociated with myself that I had to reconstitute to become my whole self before I got home. So I got clear that what I was doing wasn't life-giving. It was very draining. And when I coached with this program I mentioned, 
I got clear that I wanted to work more with people. I also got clear on my passion of helping people grow and develop to live lives they love. And that was like the key that I could then put in the lock and wonder, is it procurement? No, it sure wasn't. I then moved into change management at Kraft, which is the people side of change. And that key opened a little bit in that door because I love the people aspect. So my final three years there, I worked with change management. I got certified as a practitioner and it was interesting work. First, rolling out SAP, which I'm sure you never knew this part of my my background. And then I did a global finance transformation project. So I spent three years working with people and I got clear this is not, it was closer. It was better than forecasting cheese and cracker pricing, but it wasn't of interest. So I mentioned a few minutes ago how Kraft split and I went with Mondelez, which was the international company. They didn't need change managers anymore. And I got this nine month heads up that my job was being eliminated And I could either try to find a job internally or get this really nice severance package. And I said, I don't want a job internally. I feel complete. I'm just going to take the severance package. So I got this very handsome payout to retire at age 36 and find something else I wanted to do. And that's when I heard about the University of Santa Monica, which then propelled me to move to Los Angeles. I was in that two-year master's program. I also did a coach training certification concurrently. And you and I met later that year, thanks to James Price and Tim Brahim. So I became a coach and I love what I was doing. And in this, I think I stopped work totally for seven months between leaving Kraft Mondelez and starting with Performance Experts. And it was a great time. I lived in Costa Rica for a month, way before I'd heard of Tim, and just really enjoyed what life could be because I'd been working for 15 years straight. I love that. Okay, so... What's coming up right now is, could you, were there any signs, not to say that 15 years in the corporate world, I'm sure it led you to where you are, but I'm thinking about, is there something that you could have done 15 years earlier to, to, to come to a different conclusion about your direction, or did you need 15 years in supply chain? To, to understand what you wanted to do. Cause like at the end of the day, I understand you take it. It's like dating. You take, you go on dates, you learn what you like, what you don't like, but did you, I don't want to say you wasted 15 years, but if, if you would have gone back and done a little soul searching, could you have jumped right into coaching or do you think that was not feasible? So the only way I can answer it is from this point in time, I think that, my coaching skills are enhanced by having gone through what I did, which is hiring, being part of a team, having to fire people. Um, we worked with a lot of consultants. I there were hundreds of consultants at the time that were there, not that I was directing them, but I would interact with them. I would support them. So I would say my toolbox got filled, Dirk, in those 15 years with a lot of skills that I now pull from. So back a few minutes ago, I said, I don't think somebody could graduate from college and start coaching a CEO or start coaching executives. I worked with a lot of executives, not that I was presenting to them often, but sometimes. And even in my change management role, I was more of a representative of the stakeholders I worked with. So I would speak on their behalf. And I learned a lot about the things you probably see me talk about, leadership and management. And gosh, even like it sits so close to my heart as an example. I have clients I'll coach today that say, oh, this team member's not working. I need to fire them. And when I start peeling back the layers and understanding, does this person know they're not doing a good job per you? Have you given them feedback? 
would you just fire them off the street by not, you know, fire them cold, not letting them know that they're not performing well? I can only ask these questions because I've been in similar situations to my clients. So to answer your question directly, I don't think they were wasted years, but I'll say that I was awakening during those years. And in 2009, when I was in procurement and I just did not like it, I was not good. I would be asked to go get 2% more, 3% more price decrease. And I would say, why? The supplier is so great. Why would I go do that? I was more on the relationship side than the hard, shrewd negotiator. So it became clear those signs or those nuggets. I would say to people, I'm building bridges, not walls. Or I would say the supplier is amazing to the plant. They show up immediately when there's a problem, but just the hard and fast numbers didn't account for that. So I wasn't a great... <laughs> senior buyer of flexible packaging because I cared more about the heart and the people. And when those nuggets came out, Dirk, especially once I started getting coached, I realized I'm in the wrong job. I can do it, but having to reconstitute my soul and my my mind and my heart together every day was starting to wear on me. So yeah, but you know, it's but you didn't do it's not like you went from cheese and I don't know, you I forgot the terms you use. Like it was a 180. Like University of Santa Monica is a spiritual psychology curriculum with a lot of conversations about things that are very deep. Like so you kind of went from here to here. I guess when that happened, were there people the people in your life that, you know, your family, your friends, were they supportive of this or did you feel alone in in that moving, going to LA and doing something totally different? I'll answer directly that they were highly supportive because I'd spent years kind of liking my job, making sure I used all my vacation time, working from home back in the day when I could. So it was clear for my family and friends that I was successful at it, but I didn't love it. My face did not light up the way it now does when I would talk about the change management decks I was putting together or having to fly to a workshop in Slovakia. It wasn't like, God, I can't wait to do this. The tie down with spiritual psychology is if you remember, I rewound to freshman year at Miami where I told my parents I wanted to be a psychology major and become a psychologist to help people. 15 years later, two years, I did three years at the University of Santa Monica. Look, it's a spiritual psychology degree. I'm not a psychologist, but I'm able to help people in their inner work. And what's really cool about that connection is I got there just through a different path. So I don't at all regret the 15 years. I feel like it made me a stronger person. And I think there are some people that are passionate about supply chain. But the reason I jumped for all from all those different jobs to jobs is I didn't love it. It was like Goldilocks. And as I did something for a year or two and got good at it, I would find the next thing I wanted to do and get pulled into that department and try it out. So if any of my former colleagues would be listening to this, they'd say, yeah, you know, that's true. She never loved materials management or she never loved deployment. And when people would say to me, like, what do you do? I would say, well, I deploy caramels and marshmallows off the production line into the warehouse. I mean, I had zero excitement about that. It's interesting, but it's not purposeful. So back to you on, I'm sure, another incisive question, but it, I got to where I wanted to go based on following my heart and making choices that felt good. So do you remember the feeling you had when you were, I mean, in this different world, um, learning different skills? Like, did you just feel at home? When you say in the different world, you mean coaching and learning about it or in the job itself? Well, when you moved to Santa Monica, went to school, started, 
envisioning what a life would be like helping people with these types of listening skills or all the things, the modalities that you were learning, was there something inside you that felt like this feels right? Yes. And I remember the first time I was exposed to University of Santa Monica, I was on a retreat years prior in Costa Rica and the people that had gone to USM or that were students, there was something different about them. Their quality of presence, it wasn't obvious. I couldn't even tell in this, this retreat of 15 women exactly who they were. But when I was interacting one-on-one -on -one with somebody from USM, I felt heard, I felt seen, and I felt this deep acceptance. And so to your question about did something light me up or did something shift? Yes. I, I knew it wasn't just the people in Chicago where I'd been living versus the people in Santa Monica, but it was like this deeper quality. And you've met and interacted with Ron and Mary, doctors Ron and Mary Holnick. And it was what we were all being taught, which is to be more present with the person, to quiet the inner voice and the need to interrupt and even the need to be right and learn to hold space and be really present with the person in front of me. So I'll say it took a little while. Even when I went on the university's website, I thought, well, what kind of jobs do you get out of this? And do they do a career fair? And the, you know, the corporate things that one would think going to grad school. So it took me a minute, probably like six months to settle in and realize this is more of a way of being like life school, not career school. So yeah, I think at, over time, as I softened and as I got less mental, less analytical, less needing to understand and know things, I really have connected with that deep wellspring of purpose and, and being with, with another person. I hope I'm answering you. You are. And I, and I, I'm part of me is wondering like, what, where am I going on this? I, I don't know where I'm going on this, but like <laughs> part of me is like, uh, there's a feeling cause like there's people that are working and, and maybe they don't have a network of people to have conversation, but there's something just feels maybe not right. Maybe they're damn good at it. They're in their zone of excellence. They're doing well, but there's just something. And, and what I'm trying to point out is I've experienced this a little bit just with my podcast is just, I love, I'm curious. I love interviewing interesting people is there's a feeling you get when you, that I get when I feel like I'm leveraging what's natural, like what God gave me or whatever I was born into this world to do. And there's a lot of joy in that. Um, versus running a race you don't really want to run or, or care about winning. And so I just, I pointed out because that might be hard for a younger adult who hasn't had these types of conversations before, but if, if you're having hesitancy or reluctance about going down a road or you're in a job and you're just, something's not right, I think it's important. You're a great example, Julia, is try different things and keep moving forward and, you know, I think you'll know when you get there. And I, I feel like you knew when you got to USM that, okay, I think this is my place, or at least this is getting me closer to where I want to go. Yes. I agree with you on the part about young people trying something and seeing how it goes. And I think that my time in the corporate world, especially the first few years, there's so much that I learned how to be on time for meetings, how to write good emails, how to be present in a group of people when there's there's disagreement. So I think the skill set required for people to understand what their strengths are. And my landscapers just got here. So if, let's, if a dog starts- let's, let's, I have not had any uh, podcast guests that are landscapers. So bring them in 
and we can we can talk to we can talk to them as well. And if your do- and if your dog starts barking, that's all that's all good. Okay, By the great. way, Julie has. I want to. If you get your dog, I will. At the end of this, I want to have you show your dog because it's so beautiful. In a Me. minute, you're probably going to hear him, but I'll show you a picture of him sleeping. Yeah. Oh, look. Okay, let's see it. You got to talk. You, that's actually him sleeping. Can you see him? Oh my gosh, he's darling. How much does he weigh? Theodore weighs 180 pounds on his way to 175. And whenever he realizes the landscapers are here, he goes a little crazy. So we might have to take a commercial break at that point. It's okay. That's the weight I want to get to. I'm jealous of Theodore. Really? Well, I'm about 200. I'd like to get down to 175, 180. Maybe we can cut both of your kibble and see what happens. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Or just the Tito's. Um, (laughs) So let's go. Okay. So I guess the thing is, it's like that feeling, Julie. I mean, that's, I've struggled in my career. I mean, I'm good at what I do and I, I, and, and, and I like a lot of things about my job, but I have also noticed a difference of how, how I appear to my family and my kids, my energy. Uh, I feel like I'm a better version of myself when I find myself doing things that I love that are kind of in alignment with who I am. And I feel like you're a really good story, um, you know, across the country, you go to USM. Let's get into the coaching um, career a little bit. What is, you've been at it for a while. What is something about being a coach that surprised you that you didn't see coming? Having been a client before I was a coach, my response would be how many answers people have within them when they slow it down and get curious. And as a coach, even today, I was coaching somebody you and I both know, and he had so many answers within him when I had to ask just one or two questions or or thread the needle a little bit. And he was able to really pull it through. And toward the end of one of his shares, he said, wow, I didn't realize that, that that's how I was feeling. So I think the piece that most surprises me as a coach is how wise we all are when we slow it down and and follow our train of thought and are given the gift of a container, a safe container of somebody listening and holding space, not trying to have answers or tell the person what to do. So it's that that element of we're all as wise as we allow ourselves to be. And having coached with me, you probably say that my style is more of a listening and helping the person uncover the the truth of their thinking or the the misdirection of their thinking and help them move it in the path toward which they want to go. So said differently, people are really wise. And it could be beliefs from a parent or beliefs from a former coach, like a sports coach or their first boss that got implanted. But I think once we go within, there's a lot of wisdom there. Can you tell me who that person is and what some of the issues they're dealing with? Yes, his name was Dirk Navell. He was talking about wanting to lose all this weight to ride on my dog. <laughs> there, there you go. No, I'm kidding. No, I do know. I know. Um, I think it's interesting too. So if you're thinking about coaching, this was one thing I've coached people. And and this was one thing that I had a hard time with is sometimes as a coach, you want to, I, I feel like I wanted to give answers. Like I wanted, but I've also experienced sometimes what it's like is to let the people that you're working with come to their own conclusion to guide them. And I think it's important thing to note of a good coach is it's not always about having the answers, right? It's just about being holding space for somebody to kind of figure it out on their own. 
Yes. And for those listening that want an example, a specific example, one of the questions this gentleman asked is, is it okay to have a past employee become a future employee? Like to rehire somebody that no longer works for you. And if I would have given an answer, which you know is not my style, if I would have said, sure, that's totally fine. You can absolutely do that. Or God, no, never do that. It's like marry an ex-spouse. If I would have declared an answer, it would have really shut down the conversation. But when I asked one or two questions about this and he was able to share and speak of his past experience with them and if they were to come back, what it would have to be like and who he, the leader, would have to be in order to get this employee to change, I think he saw that this may not be something that's in everyone's best interest, but it was a great question. And so that's why for those who don't have an orientation to coaching, why coaching can be so powerful is the coach doesn't give answers. That would be business consulting, but the coach helps the person uncover and get underneath what it is they're actually feeling or thinking. And so in this case, I let this gentleman know, if you wanted to bring this person back, you might have to manage them differently. And you've told me you don't want to do these things that this person would need. So we got to the answer together through his own wisdom. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's, that's the hard part for me when I was coaching people is, is just kind of not being the the person with the answers. And I I think it's just really important for people to kind of pay attention to that. Because I think naturally, a lot of people I would say I like to give advice. Um, And that's not really coaching, in my opinion. Um, Tell me, Julie, what do you think it is about coaching? What is it? What is your why? Like, what is it about it that you love so much? Um, I don't know if I've ever asked you that. It's interesting because I shared the my purpose or my passion around helping people grow and develop to live lives they love. That's still present. But what I love so much about coaching is that generally clients will come in thinking something should have been a certain way, call it an expectation. Mm-hmm. When I made a million dollars, I should be, or you know, my thought was when I made a million dollars, I would be feeling these things and now I've made it and I don't feel those things. So there can be declarations. And there can be assumptions how life should be or how we want life to be, which tend to come from the ego, which we hear in society, a million dollars makes people happy. So the the questioning, the piece I love so much about it is questioning. And is it true that or what would happiness look like? And I can ask questions from this outside perspective. I'm not their friend. I mean, I'm I'm friendly, but I'm not their best friend. I'm not their spouse. We don't have beers together. We don't complain about life together. So there's this, this neutrality or this observer perspective where I get to be, and then different questions come in. So when I go to a higher altitude and I look down at the situation, in that case, it could be a conversation with someone. I'll, my, my, my intuition will come online or I'll notice something that hasn't been said, but he or she's hinting at. So asking questions and helping the person uncover thinking or ways of being that might be getting in their own way is what I think is such an interesting gift. I don't know that it's my zone of genius. In fact, I did work, as you know, with Erica from the Conscious Leadership Group. And what she synthesized my genius was was something that I wouldn't have come up with. They're not even words I would actively use. So I I do think it requires somebody else for me, it requires somebody outside of me to share what the gifts are or what, what, what it is I'm doing. That's helpful to people. 
because I, it's like a goldfish in water. They don't really know what water is because they're surrounded by it. Yeah. So, but there's gotta be something that feels good in your job. Is it, is it, is it when you see somebody break through and then their life changes in a positive way? Is that, is that something like when you're in bed at night thinking that was really great. I really helped somebody. Is that, is that the why? If I had to put words around a why it would probably be helping my clients have breakthroughs to higher levels of happiness and contentment and success. So helping others see things anew or helping others achieve things in their lives and feeling the feelings they want to have about it. So how would you synthesize that helping people achieve new levels? I think you, I think you did it perfectly. Um, And what is it about Julie? Why, so like, what is it? Why do you think you're so good at this? And you are good at it. And, you, and I, I know you're humble, but I've been with you for a long time and you, you've helped out a lot of people, including myself. What is it about you that makes you good at what you do? Thank you for that. I don't know that it's me. I don't think it's necessarily skills I have, but it's what I've been taught to get my ego out of the way, even to not have the right answer. I help my clients find find their own answers. So I think it's that my ego or my identity is not attached to awards or levels of achievement that one could could count. I'll just brief example at Kraft, you were an analyst, then a senior analyst, then a then a associate manager, manager, senior manager, associate director. Like there was this hierarchy in this echelon of once a person hits VP, then they've made it, then they control such and such. And I think with coaching in particular, there's not this promotable hierarchy of success, or there's not this job title that helps make somebody better, or there's not a, once I hit this level, then I'll be successful. So if I just speak about myself, I think it's that my natural gifts of listening and connecting and not needing to be the the bell of the ball or not needing to be center stage, help create the space for what happens with my clients or help me support them in seeing differently. Cause that's what it is. A million dollars doesn't make anybody feel a certain way. It's how they, the freedom or the success or the people that do a hundred million in production. Why a hundred, why not 107 or 208? Like, why is it these, ladder type figures. And I think it's just because others ahead of them achieved it and said how great it feels. So in closing, and I know I've shared a bit long on this, I think it's that I don't need to be perceived a certain way from the outside because when people like you and others say, wow, this was so helpful. I'm so glad we met. Thank you. It's not really me. It's the work we're co-creating. I think it's um, a lot of you, but that's that's my opinion. I, I think there's a lot of folks who could have gone to USM and other schooling curriculum and maybe not have the uh, ability to hold space, make people feel safe. Um, I, I think it's a combination, but um, I think you're very good at what you do. So is there anything about coaching? And I know you're not a negative person, but like these are a couple things I'm not crazy about. Like maybe it's the um, the lack of loyalty. Maybe people don't stick around. Maybe it's uh, financial. Maybe it's um, I don't know. Maybe maybe when things get tough, coaching is the first thing people 
take away from their budget. Like I'm just throwing things out there, but I think it's good to kind of talk about a few things that maybe if people are going to get down, go down this career route that they need to be aware of. It's a great question because I always love pro con lists or what's optimistic and what, what we don't want to look at. I think a piece of coaching and until now, this hasn't been something that I've encountered, but a lot of people that are on their own. So just an individual coach have to have a lot of enrollment conversations to convert clients. And so enrollment, something that's not taught generally in a coach training program. And what I mean by this is enrolling clients, sharing the fee, getting them to agree to work with that coach, and then renewing. I think that's a piece of it that, I mean, you heard me talk about procurement. I was not the best negotiator. I wanted my my suppliers to like me versus going to you know, get blood out of them. And so if I were talking with people about rates and I had to negotiate or throw in a bonus set of Ginsu knives or whatever it is, maybe that wouldn't be my biggest skill set. I don't currently do those types of um, contract negotiation type conversations, but the enrollment piece, I also think, and this is, this is unique depending on the type of client, but some people want an accountability coach or they say, if I pay you to coach me, then I'll do what I should be doing. And I debunk that immediately saying that's not really what coaching is about. But there is accountability if you are really hungry for it. And as a side note, Dirk, I've caught myself a few times wanting something more than my clients wanted it. And that's a bad place to be if I'm more excited for their win than they are, or I've got more energy around it than they do. So a piece of coaching is is having the right conversations up front, which I do. And if a client says something like, you're going to do this for me, or thanks to you, we're doing this, I get really clear. And I even use an analogy in my immersion sessions around you're in the driver's seat and I'm the coach. I, as the coach, I'm in the passenger seat. I may have been down the road before, but you're the one driving, making choices and getting results in your life. So I set that tone because I don't ever want them to think I'm driving the car. Other negatives. Um, well, I do private coaching one-on-one with clients as well as group coaching. And I find that there's transformation available in both but some people don't wanna be part of a group or they don't wanna share in front of others. And I think that can really limit a person's success or limit a person's growth if they just wanna stay private or not really be exposed to a group. So it depends what type of coaching somebody is going to do. But if they find that a client's hiding out or staying small or not really wanting to do the work and step in fully, the coach needs to hit pause and have a conversation about per our agreement, these are what we, the things we agreed to up front. And I'm noticing you're not taking action or you're not showing up with topics to talk about. That's part of it. Aside from that, Dirk, there's not a lot of negative aspects of coaching. If somebody wants to always be right, or they're not a very good listener, it probably isn't the right profession for them. But that desire to help and really care about the well-being and the success of others, I think is meaningful. Is there a part that you would add that you don't think I've touched on? I think I should coach you after this podcast on some <laughs> things, but I'm going to be charging a lot of money for that. So I'm going to have to save up my pennies and nickels and dimes. You can send me some of your Bitcoin. I, um, <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, I just asked the question because like an example, my dad was a pilot and I never really wanted to be a pilot, but like, 
when I thought about careers, like I never, this is the catch 22 is I'm a big fan of, you know, when you went through 15 years and then got the severance, like what I'm trying to do is, is, is I want people to go through that awareness at a much younger age. And I understand you don't have regrets and you learned all these skill sets that allowed you to be a better coach, but I'm trying, the dance is I'm trying to at least get people to think about things they're probably not thinking about in terms of, you know, what lights them up? What do they do on a Saturday for seven or eight hours? Um, you know, what are they naturally good at? What do people come to them for on advice? And again, I, on the flip side, sometimes you just got to get out there and try things to see what you like. Um, and I think, gosh, I, now I'm, I hope I'm not losing my mind. I had a direction here. Can you help me out coach? Uh, where was I going on this? Um, you asked me which question if missing anything about the negatives of coaching or the downside, the cons that people don't actively talk yeah. about. Yeah. So I sum up my dad and like, I never, so the, the catch is like, sometimes you need life experience to figure out what you wanted. I didn't realize how important freedom was to me. Like, mm -hmm. and at 24 and the fact that I just don't like politics, big corporate, you know, I like to run my own show. I don't really want to manage a lot of people. I, but my time with my family coaching, I've never missed a birthday. I've never missed a holiday. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like leaving your family uh, on those precious, you know, days and moments. And so I'm trying to figure out if I could rewind the clock, what could I have gotten clear on what was important to me at 24? And, you know, maybe it's changed over time. But I guess when I ask about the negatives, what I'm trying to hopefully do is shed some light on, I mean, like, financial like are you ever in a situation do you always feel secure or are there times where you're you're nervous about um income as a well, coach the world view i have on money is that i feel money is abundant i've earned handsomely i've saved handsomely so i don't have feelings of financial scarcity do i look at the money coming in and say wow it was really high and 2020, 2021, 2022, and now it's a little lower in 2023. Yeah, because mortgage interest rates have been up for the last year and it's a lot harder of an environment. There's not as much inventory available. So yes, my earning this year is lower than these last few, but it's a fact almost like calories and cake are higher than calories and dog kibble. I don't associate emotions to it. And because I've always saved well, I feel like I've saved for times where I might be earning a little bit less. And you even notice me say I earned handsomely. There's no better or worse adjective around handsomely or abundantly. These aren't like, I made a million and then I made 10,000. Like I'm not associating dollar figures or even positive or negative around it. And the reason I point that out for anybody listening is the the thoughts we think and the words we use and the energy our words ride on are so important. And so I, I am probably going to be earning less this year, but I don't at all feel scarce about it. I told my CPA that earlier this year and we have a great plan together for taxes, but I don't, I don't tie money and happiness. If I would have, I might've never left my corporate job, but I've out earned what I made in my corporate job over the last eight, eight years. And so I never would have, thought I could make more than at this big fortune 100 company where I would fly different places and have these interesting 
you know, experiences. So if I would have been attached to that, I probably never would have left. But you also heard me say I got a great severance check. I've been interviewing for a few years. I was interviewing, I interviewed and almost got a job with a locomotive company buying locomotive parts. Can you imagine if I didn't like buying cookie and cracker packaging, how painful it would have been to negotiate locomotive parts? That would have just been like dulling. I couldn't even put a word around it. So I've not really tied money and happiness together because I keep money in a category of its own, which is pay myself first and save well, and then I don't need to correlate the two. Yeah, that's a great point. Like your attachment. And we've gone, we've done exercises on what's your attachment to money. Mm-hmm. And what's I think your that's money a, archetype. Yeah. 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 And you've helped me with that. Um, what about like, you know, the, the, I would assume freedom and your balance, like ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. I mean, as a coach, I think that's one of the great parts of running your own show. And yes, and I want to go back to something you said about your dad being a pilot and you getting clear how important freedom is to you. When I started in the corporate world, nobody was working from home. I don't even think there was Wi-Fi back in 1998. So it was that you just drove to a job, you commuted twice a day, and that's just how it was. I don't think there was a lot of working from home. I don't know if you remember that in your first job, but I don't. And so it was just part of the job. So yes, your dad flew on planes. Some people drove in cars. Some people took trains. So I think back then there wasn't nearly as much freedom of location as there is today. So just to paint a little or to, to give a little compassion to you, how would you at 22 or 23 have known freedom was important? It wasn't really modeled in jobs at that time. It sure. is now because of remote work and Wi-Fi and all those things. That's a great point. And that's what I, I guess I'm trying to shift. Uh, I want people to start asking these questions and I, and I, I don't think they're questions or topics or conversations they're having right now. They're, I think they're thinking about paying off school debt. I think they're thinking about, you know, what looks good. Uh, not everybody. Uh, so I always have, you know, there's that movie La La Land. There's a song about here's to the artists and all the creative. I always have this uh, appreciation for people that are brave enough to go down the road less traveled and kind of, you know, figure out what, what it is they want to do and just go for it. I, um, but I do think it's important to ask these questions. Like even in our world of mortgage lending sales, I mean, how do we get paid? We get paid when we do loans or we get paid on managing people who do loans. Um, you know, I personally don't really think we have an annuity type income like a commercial insurance or financial services. So there's, you know, things like, how do you get paid? Are they little singles? Are they home runs? You have to do a lot of volume to make money or can you do one big sale a year? and you know, there's just, those are the things that I want people, you know, if they're thinking sales, who are you selling to? Are you selling to VPs of marketing or are you selling to anyone, you know, friends, family, people you went to school with? Um, I think those are the kinds of things that I'm wanting people to think about that they're currently not, I think. And, and that, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you do that, I feel like you're in a better position to end up maybe in a career that brings you more joy. Yes. And you said something important, which is why you like what you do. So just going back to your mortgage origination example, I think you're a very charming individual, Dirk. I've never gotten into um, my mortgage financing with you, but I suspect if I had, you'd be really helpful. You might give some extra information, send me an article or send me a video that's important. And I feel like what's most 
exceptional about you is how much you care. And so let's just say somebody's a caring individual like you and they don't know the job to pick or they don't know what they'd love to do. Where is caring important? It's important in sales. It's important in finances or, you know, I want my CPA to care. It's important in healthcare. So if there's a quality or a part of a person's personality like caring or being supportive or being a good listener, it matches up to a certain number of jobs. And then there's some like lawyers maybe don't need to spend all their time listening because that's really expensive if you have a billable rate of $1,000 an hour. So there can be there can be places where it's a match and where it's not a match. But I would say for you, I mean, not that you're here to ask me about career advice, but I would say, Dirk, you're exceptional at what you do because of the amount of caring. I don't think you're the type that's going to say, okay, I've run out of time next. No, you're a very caring human. And I think for anybody who doesn't know their values or their characteristics, it'd be important to have those reflected back to them, whether in a coaching session or with the career counselor. Because for me, when I got clear on what was important to me, the thing I was doing at work was like so far from that. I was not helping people grow and develop to live lives they love. I was making money for a giant company by squeezing suppliers on costs. So those could not be more opposite. And that's when I got coaching and moved toward my path. And I think we're all here to help each other in the end. Uh, let's be clear. I'm the career expert, not you, okay? Okay, got it. I'm the dog we, trainer. Are we clear on that? <laughs> we're clear. <laughs> You're the supply chain chick and I'm the career. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So I'm, I'm trying to think like, are there, before we end this, um, I have a few more questions. But is there anything that I'm not asking that you think is important for someone to know about the world of being a coach um, if they're really gung ho? Because I think there's, I think coaching has become a much more popular way to make a living. And I, I, you're much more credible at it because you've been doing it for a long time. Is there anything I haven't asked that you think is important for people to know about? If somebody's specifically thinking about becoming a coach, I would want them to understand why they want to do it and for what outcome. What I mean by this is some people may say, oh, you can do it from anywhere and you just need a phone or the internet and you just need to find some clients. It can seem like a very easy, easy business to get into. Or there's even some memes out there of people coaching while they polish their nails or while they crack open a beer. I don't know if you've seen those on social media, but I don't think that professional coaching is anything to do with what people or these jokes that are portrayed online. And so coaching involves holding space. I think it involves having a functional area or knowing something about that functional area. As an example, I coach a woman who is, let's say, COO at a health company. And I could never be a coach for her health company because I know little to nothing about what they do. So in my experience, one needs to understand the vertical in order to be successful there. So I don't think professional coaches necessarily just start from anywhere. They tend to start from an area of expertise or an area where they have wisdom that, that they can share with others. And I know I've said it's not about giving advice, but it's definitely important to understand the vertical or the the area like leadership coaching into which a person coaches. So yeah. I don't know if I'm building this out correctly, but I need experience and, or I need to have experience in order to support someone like you. 
or the other people I coach. I can't just not know anything and ask some good questions. There's that level of business experience that's required. I get it. Let me ask you this, and I'm not trying to back you into a corner, but you didn't have mortgage experience, and yet you became part of this coaching team that has a lot of mortgage professionals. Would you say you were able to do that because of the 15 years prior of just having business experience? Because you, I felt like you stepped in right away and you were exceptional from day one. Do you, did you feel like it took you a while? Thank you. I did not have mortgage experience, still don't, have never sold a loan, but I think there are parallels. So I'm going to answer your question and then then draw the parallels. I stepped in not as somebody who was going to give super granular sales experience. There was never a part of me that thought I had to be someone I'm not. Tim, when Tim and I were co-facilitating back in the very well, we still are co-facilitating, but he handled the mortgage specific stuff that I would not have, I would not know. But because I came from the manufacturing, in this case, food, like manufacturing alone, I understand the perfect loan process. I understand the baton passes. I understand the manufacturing or the movement of a loan through a pipeline. So I could comprehend those things and understand, but the leadership, the managing, the hiring, promoting, uh, employee reviews, employee check-ins, doesn't really matter what a business does if those same things apply. So when I coached even this gentleman of, could you hire somebody who was a past employee to become a future employee? I had very specific questions to ask him and things to consider how it would be different next time. Why? Because that's happened. We've had team members in my prior teams who would leave and come back and it was never great, but I didn't come from that area of knowing I came from the inquiry with him. So yeah, I probably will never originate a loan. I have done multiple loans as a borrower, not lucky enough to work with you, Dirk, but I've done multiple loans on the homes I own. And so I think that at least gave me an orientation to the nuts and bolts of it. I'm very charming. Someone once said about me as a loan officer, is that what your words were? Or no, you thought maybe I'm charming? I thought you would be very supportive and helpful and give a lot of guidance and one-on-one -on -one support like coach, like a coach does. Yeah. But did I answer your question about not having mortgage, but having business experience? You did. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that um, what's, what's coming up is so much of what, so much for me, like sometimes when I was thinking about some of the issues when I first met Tim that I was having in mortgages, it was so tied to, you know, personal some of the ways I thought about myself and other people. And so I think they're, you know, they're, they're so intertwined um, that, you know, someone's having a business issue. It's maybe on the back of some kind of personal issues, which you're very fluent in helping people with. So I, I don't think at all, it's a stretch. I think it's, um, I understand having industry knowledge is important, but I think if you have the the education and the foundation like you do, I think they could probably you could probably go into any situation and be effective. Is my guess. May it be so. I, but I don't think you could be a loan officer because we're like the cream of the crop. Wow. I, it's very difficult to be yes. a loan officer. Um, is there anything I missed though? Did I did I? Is there anything else that you think is important for our audience to hear before we end this? about coaching, about career pivots. I guess I, would, I guess I would say 
for anybody listening who feels misaligned with their job or the work they do in the world, slow it down and do some journaling or ask some questions of yourself because sometimes that purpose and that values alignment needs to match up in a person's job. Sometimes it could be a hobby or a, a business adjunct thing like you are a loan originator who runs a podcast. So I think we can find our values and our passion in our work or outside of it. But I think it's a matter of, for me personally, continuing to move toward the thing I love doing so that my life and my work are so intertwined. I never know if I'm working or playing. And I I truly mean that. I don't think like, oh, it's Sunday and I've got to work tomorrow ever. I think, oh, I get to do this. What a, what a blessing. And so I think as we all try to make self-honoring choices, loving what we do and doing things we love in our free time are both really important. I love that. Uh, One question I ask everybody. So coaching is off the table for Julie. No more coaching. You can't coach. You can't go back to supply chain. Can't deal with chocolate or marshmallows or whatever. Is there a dream job? Like if you could do anything, anything. um, Is there there something out there that you'd want to do? Aside from working alongside you and your loan origination business. I was talking about this in Spain. I would love to run a cafe. I really enjoy coffee. I wouldn't want to work there every day, but I would want to curate it. I would want to have the right books, definitely the right people. I love coffee and the cups my coffee comes in. So just the, the feel of the place, the aesthetic, the vibe. Even yesterday, I met a friend for coffee here in Austin and I mistakenly had the wrong coffee shop. And the one I went to had all these people on laptops and it was silent. And the one I had to finally make my way to had music and it was outdoors and it had food trucks. And the feeling of each of those was so different that that vibe or that familial feel of being in a cafe is something I love. So maybe run a cafe in Spain. I love that. I, um, creating like this experience for people. Like I, I know a good, I've experienced going to a good coffee shop or even a bar, but just somewhere where you go and it just feels, I don't know, feels right. But I could see it. Do you have a name picked out? Not yet. All right. Let me work on that. Yeah. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, you're a good friend. And uh, I think you gave a lot of really good information and I'm, I'm hoping people, um, as far as coaching, finding you as a coach, you, is there a way to find you, by the way? Performance-experts.com, or they could email me at julieww at performance-experts.com. Cool. Thank awesome. you for having me. It's been so much fun. And luckily, the landscapers came and went without a peep from the St. Bernard. I didn't hear it. One bark. Julie, thank you so much. Thanks, Dirk. Thanks, Dirk.